postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. 
Welcome to Birthful Mighty Parents and Parents-to-be. I'm Adriana Lozada, and you're listening to an episode in our series on models and places of birth. So for today, I thought we'd bring you Sarah Winward's wonderful birth story that does two things. Well, it really does a lot more than that. But in the context of our Models and Places of Birth series, it shows some of the differences of giving birth at a birth center as opposed to at a hospital or at home. It also highlights how each birth is going to do its own thing and that it will likely happen in a way that won't necessarily match your expectations. And that's totally okay. Now, if I put this story in the context of our last episode with Britta Bushnell, I gotta say, I so appreciate how much curiosity, whimsy, and flexibility Sarah brings to the process. I mean, her labor starts out with some lovely swing dancing in her living room, and then she goes stomping through deep snow with her dog. And then, even when things are intense and Sarah's asking herself, where is the break? There's supposed to be a break. Where is the break? She figures out how to work with the experience and leans into that Artemisian wildness of birth. And before we start, I wanted to clarify that a nuchal hand refers to when a baby is born with their hand next to their face. Okay, let's jump right into Sarah's story and also figure out why Harry Potter was helpful to her. Here we go. You're listening to Birthful, here to inform your intuition. Welcome, Sarah. I am so thrilled to hear about your story. Also, to have an international story because you're from Canada. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a naturopathic doctor. I practice in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm also a birth doula and a lactation counselor. And we were talking a little bit when we were off air. You became a doula before you had your son. I did. I've been a doula for about three years. And yeah, so I I kind of went into pregnancy with like very firm ideas about how I was going to give birth because I had already seen a few births at that point. Yeah. And one of my first questions is, think back to when you were pregnant, what were your wishes and thoughts about birth? So from that doula perspective, what was it that you wanted? So I had seen a few completely unmedicated births using hypnobirthing at, there's a, a birth center locally, which is basically the first of its kind in Ontario. We don't have a ton of freestanding birth centers and it's just down the street from me and it's beautiful, like beautiful. And so I knew that I really wanted to give birth, either a home birth or at the birth center. And I, I really liked the idea of using hypnobirthing. I'd seen it be really effective for people. And then I also knew that I didn't, I like really didn't want that epidural Pitocin sitting in a bed birth. Right. The the more hospital-based traditional management. Yeah. Yeah. Like almost more, yeah, passively birthing with, with other people managing it. And then the other thing too is I was just kind of curious. Like I had seen a lot of people giving birth and I was really curious about what it would be like to be on the inside of birthing. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And usually the path is the other way around. Like, well, I think older generations of doulas, myself included, like we had babies and we're like, oh my God, this changed my life. I need to become a doula. And I am seeing more and more now the other way around where people are getting, are becoming doulas younger and younger, which is so exciting. It is exciting. And it's nice to, I wasn't scared at all. 
because I had seen everything at that point from like the unmedicated hypnobirth to like a planned cesarean before I even got pregnant. So I wasn't scared. Mm, So important. Was there any eventful situation during pregnancy or was it just smooth and flowing? It was generally pretty smooth. I had my licensing exams for my naturopathic license in the, I think I was like 20 weeks pregnant. So I, I like didn't pay attention to the fact that I was pregnant until after those exams. And then I was halfway done and went, oh my God, I'm going to have a baby in like four months. (laughs) So it kind of crept up on me a little bit. And then he was um, really long, like really long and kicked me in the ribs from about, I want to say maybe like five months. He was head down really early and between five and six months, he started kicking me in the ribs and people kept saying, don't worry, he'll drop and it'll stop. Don't worry, he'll drop and it'll stop. And he was still kicking me in the ribs while I was in labor. Uh, so that was, my rib is still kind of bruised oh, no. months later. <laughs> so I just was talking to another person for a birth story and one baby was kicking on the ribs like that. She would use an ice pack. Oh, uh, right. Placed on the, you know, by the ribs. And I totally get it because because Annika also like jammed her foot right under my ribs. Yeah. Oh, the worst. Right. The worst. And so <laughs> she would put ice packs there and the baby would shy away from it. And oh. then it also the ice would help With relieve any swelling. Oh, yes. that's a great idea. I yeah, like so that. I love that tip now. Yeah. yeah. But I'm sorry about your bruised ribs. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. So then you finally were focusing on pregnancy and he was growing and going deep. How did it all start? How did you know or did you know that you were in labor? Yeah. So my due date was December 27th. So we didn't do anything at all for Christmas because all my family is at least an hour away and there was no way that I was driving that. So on December 25th, After having a really uneventful Christmas, my husband and I put on some music and like rolled back our carpet and just danced in our living room. We we both do swing dancing. So we did some swing dancing in our living room. Uh, And that was like our little Christmas. And that was it, basically. And then I was sleeping on the couch at that point because our couch folds out into a bed and he was sleeping in the bed because I was getting up all the time because lying down, the baby would creep up and then be in my ribs even more. So I'd have to get up periodically in the night and just like let gravity bring him back down. So he wasn't getting any sleep if I was in the bed. So I was sleeping on the couch and around two o'clock in the morning, I woke up and I was having contractions and they were probably like 10 minutes apart. But I didn't really have any Braxton Hicks contractions prior to, to that. And, and they, between two and probably five, I was only just like dozing in between and then I would wake up for them. And so by five o'clock, I was like, mm, yep, this is probably labor. Um, so I went, I went into the bed and told my husband, hey, just, just so you know, pretty sure I'm in labor, but go back to sleep. I'm, I'm going to try and go back to sleep too. And I, I don't know if he did or not, but I tried a little bit to doze and then, and then eventually was like, no, I, I think I'm just awake. Like I can't, I can't fall back to sleep in between them anymore. And that was around probably seven in the morning. Yeah. So that's how it started. And I tried to, we tried to just like have a, as much of a normal day as possible. Like we had breakfast and we walked the dog and it had been, there had been a snowstorm. So we actually took the dog to the park and I like was stomping through the snow 
with the dog and then stopping for the contractions and then stopping through the snow again just to like help get things moving a little bit. And I'm getting all these wonderful visuals of like, I have now in my mind your imaginary living room where you move the rug and you're swing dancing. And then now I have you stumping through tons of snow with your dog. Yeah, it was probably like between six and 10 inches of snow. So it was like stomping. Uh, and the dog was bounding around in the park and she was having fun. So yeah, it was early labor was pretty fun, actually. Yeah, it sounds like it. You're doing a good job of ignoring it and just actually delighting in it. Yeah, yeah. And we don't have a bathtub in our apartment. So that was like one of the reasons why I was really excited about the birth center is because the centerpiece of the rooms in the birth center are bathtubs, like really nice big bathtubs. And we don't have a bathtub. So I, I later on in the afternoon, I ended up in the shower for a little bit with some water on my back and that was really nice. I have a birth ball, so I was on that for a little bit, just kind of hanging out in the apartment. And that went on until about four o'clock in the afternoon of just kind of hanging around and walking and showering and eating and, and just hanging out. Mm -hmm. And then around four o'clock, we called our midwives and I remember, I remember thinking, oh, I hope this is actually active labor because it was, we had the 411 where it was like four minutes in between contractions, they were lasting a minute. But I remember thinking like, gee, wouldn't it be really embarrassing if as a doula, I didn't know that I wasn't in active labor. <laughs> so I was like hesitant to call. Yeah, it's different when you're in it. Yeah. So we called and she got to our house at around 545. Uh, and I was four or five centimeters dilated, 90% effaced and the baby was like, minus one and at that point the contractions were then two to three minutes apart and lasting about 60 seconds so I was like yes I'm in active labor it's true <laughs> you were hitting uh, all the marks fantastic yeah yeah that's, I remember being really excited that I I could figure it out on myself and she at that point was like well if you want to transfer to the birth center that would be now would be a great time to transfer to the birth center and I was like yes I would like to get into that bathtub so this is now the 26th of December and the birth center is we're on one side of like the downtown core and the birth center is on the other side of the downtown core so we had to drive through a major urban shopping center to get there and I there wasn't a lot of traffic but there was a ton of people on the street so every light there was like a bunch of people crossing and I remember thinking like thank god these contractions slowed down because as soon as I got in the car they slowed I probably only had two or three in the car and I think that was like my brain kicked in and was like, don't have contractions in the car. It's going to be the worst. So I didn't. Yeah. And those contractions in the car, we kind of forget that. And it doesn't get talked enough of trying to factor that in into your labor progression because you want to labor at home as much as possible or a lot of people do. But then the longer you're at home, the more uncomfortable that car ride gets. Yeah, and I was so afraid of my water breaking in the car and being stuck in traffic and not being able to cope with the contractions in the car. There is an, another trick for for that or another like doula trick here. I'm yeah. tossing out tricks left and right. Yeah. Have a chucks pad always in your bag. And then if water hasn't broken, put it down on the seat. On the seat. And I do that for my clients. <laughs> but I didn't think to do it for myself. Of course, of course. <laughs> so I actually, I didn't tell any of my family members that I was in labor. 
because I just didn't want anybody like waiting for me. I didn't want to feel like people were, there was like the sense of anticipation, but we have a dog. So I had to call my sister because I wasn't sure this was like six o'clock in the evening at this point. And so we needed someone to come and let the dog out and stay with the dog overnight. So I called my sister and she was actually out on a date and I just really casually, Hey, just whenever you're done, do you mind just co- going to our house and letting the dog out? Cause I'm just on my way to the birth center. And she was like, Oh my God, I'm going right now. So then I think she told my parents and then my parents told my, my in-laws. So people knew at that point, which is fine, but she was pretty excited. <laughs> She's well, the date must have not been that interesting then. <laughs> yeah. I think she shortened it a little bit. <laughs> poor, poor person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we get to the birth center around seven. And by that point, I was just like, get me in the bathtub. And it was like, my midwife had gotten there a little bit before me. So it was like half filled up. And she's like, would you want to wait till it was full? And I was like, no. So I, I like basically walked into the, the room and was like stripping off my clothes as I was walking in, like through the bag, stripping off the clothes into the bathtub. And it was so nice. It was so nice to get into the bathtub after basically being like moving around as much as possible for all of early labor that was like magical mm-hmm. just less pressure and it took maybe half an hour for my contractions to pick back pick back up once i got to the birth center but then then they were like 2 to 3 minutes apart and 60 seconds for another couple of hours and then they got very intense so around 8:30 i'm going to say they started to be two minutes apart and lasting 90 seconds. And that went on and on and on and on and on. And I, I remember being in the tub and then getting out of the tub and then being, there's like this really lovely big king size bed. And I was in that for a while. And I just remember thinking like, where is the break? Why is there not a break? Does it, isn't there usually a break somewhere? And so around 11 at night, my midwife suggested using nitrous oxide. So the, that was another one of the nice things about the birth center, that the only intervention that they have in terms of pain is nitrous oxide. And I, when we were planning, I was like, no interventions. I'm going to just have a natural birth with nothing. And at that point, now this is like four or five hours of these two minutes apart, 90-second contractions. And I was like, yes, let's try the nitrous oxide. And that was super helpful once I could get the hang of it. It was really hard. The first time I inhaled it, it tasted kind of weird. And I was like, I don't know if I like this. And I put it down. And then maybe like 15 or 20 minutes later, the midwife was like, you want to try this again? And I was like, okay, yeah, maybe I do. And then once I got the hang of it and the ritual of it, where you like are forced to inhale the gas in, it was really helpful. And I think that's a great point, especially if you're doing, because I was going to ask you if if the hypno, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that you wanted to do hypnobirthing, if that was helpful at all. But I find that people that are really in the zone and going deep into their labor process and then get to a point like this where it's so intense and they go for the nitrous, getting the hang of it, like you said, because it's labor intensive, like you have to time it. You got to think, right? Yeah, you have to think. You have to like put the mask on and then take the mask off and... Yeah, so it helps, but it requires you to go somewhere different. Yes, and it's actually, it's interesting. I, I forgot to mention, I, I did do the hypnobirthing, but then once I was actually in labor, a lot of the hypnobirthing was like, just breathe and, and you know, meditations and whatnot. And I, like, once I was in labor, and I, I kind of knew this before I was in labor, but I'm a really loud person. 
I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to do that. And I vocalized a lot. That was my husband said, it was really nice when you started the nitrous oxide because you were vocalizing into the mask. So it was less loud. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but the thing is, and, and, and I, I was very loud as well. Um, <laughs> it's a coping mechanism. Like it helps. It does help. It does help. And that was one of the, one of the things that I remember thinking, which I think being a doula helped me with this was that like, no, you have to keep the sounds low, like get low with the sounds. And if I was low with the sounds, then I was low in my body. And that actually really helped. Yeah. And not low of, of, you know, intensity, but low pitch, like, oh. Yeah. Low pitch. Yeah. Like down in, yeah. As opposed to up high pitch. Yeah. That's, yeah. Not helpful. That tightens and contracts and the way the other one creates vibration and relaxation. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was really helpful. And that was like one of my mental, I think probably that was my meditation was like, keep it low. And then I just made a ton of noise. Awesome. And I, I and I think it's important to know that sounds during labor can be really good too. So like, you know, don't limit yourself and let it be what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was definitely really helpful for me. I think a little bit annoying for my husband, but really helpful for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, we wouldn't want to annoy him a little bit. <laughs> I'm yeah. sorry. That uh, was that was snappy. Sorry. No, it's okay. My husband would love that. He's a snappy kind of person. Right. <laughs> so the contractions went on like that for a really, really long time. And I used the nitrous oxide. And I remember my midwife saying, like, you have to take breaks with the nitrous. And I would say, like, I don't know when the contraction is done. And because there was only like 30 seconds of break in between the contractions, she literally at points was palpating my uterus and saying like, okay, now it's done. And I would take the break and then immediately be like, oh no, here's another one um, and put the mask back on. So that was, and that went on until like 4am. So the whole night I was, and I read my, I was reading my labor notes from the midwife that from 8.30 a.m. until, or 8.30 p.m. until 4am, that was literally the contraction pattern. 90 seconds long and two minutes apart. That is a long time for that intensity. Yes, it is. (laughs) Someone joked with me after that I was in transition for like eight hours. Yeah. So thankfully the nitrous was super, super helpful. And at that point, like I, I do remember thinking like, I can't, I need a break. And it wasn't, it wasn't that it was painful it was that it didn't stop like I was just like like where is the break I I swear at all the other births that I've been at there have been breaks and so at that at some point in the night I remember like looking at my husband and saying I don't know if I can do this and I I we didn't hire a doula and I kind of gave him a few tips of like things that I would need him to do because we didn't hire a doula and one of them was like I need, I'm gonna, at some point I'm going to say, I can't do this. And I need you to tell me that I'm already doing it. And so when I said, I don't think I can do this anymore, he looked at me and said, you are already doing this. I was like, you are right. I am already doing it. And at that point, the idea of transferring somewhere else with a con- that contraction pattern, like there was no way. So I stuck it out. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. 
So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash, and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com. Or look for it at Amazon.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Acorns, and sometimes I find that investing gets put off because it doesn't seem urgent, or because with our busy lives we may not have the time to research and manage said investments. Which is why I so appreciate that Acorns makes it easy to start. Automatically saving and investing for your future, and that you don't need a lot of money or expertise to invest with Acorns. In fact, you can get started with just your spare change. So, for example, I take advantage of Acorns Roundup feature, where they round up the purchase amounts I make in my linked account to the nearest dollar, and then they automatically transfer that to my invest account portfolio. Also, Acorns can recommend an expert-built portfolio that fits you and your money goals, then automatically invests your money for you. For me, that's easy peasy investing. Head to Acorns.com/birthful or download the Acorns app to start saving and investing for your future today. Client testimonial may not be representative of all clients. Tier one compensation provided. Compensation provides an incentive to positively promote Acorns. View important disclosures at Acorns.com/birthful. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. Please consider your objectives, risk tolerance, and Acorns fees before investing. Acorns Advisors LLC Acorns is an SEC registered investment advisor. Brokerage services are provided to clients of Acorns by Acorns Securities LLC, member Finra SIPC. For more information, visit Acorns.com. What helped you aside from him saying, "Yes, I am doing it." What helped you stick it out? To be honest, I don't. I don't really remember. I think it was just the idea of like I would love an epidural right now, and if an epidural was around, I would get it. But but to get an epidural, I would have had to get in the car and drive to the, the hospital, or we would have had to call an ambulance and transfer in an ambulance to the hospital, and that was just like not not going to happen. I will say that at some point during that. Sort of period. I actually it was before I started the nitrous. I I had a vaginal check and I was only about seven centimeters dilated, and that was after like these two minutes apart, ninety second contractions started at eight thirty, and this was at like eleven, and so that was really discouraging for me at that point. And I think that was one of the reasons why I was like, okay, let's try the nitrous, and then that that ended up being really really helpful. 
So that was like a little bit of a backtrack, but yeah, I remember being like, oh, I hope, I hope this was transition and then it wasn't transition. <laughs> yeah. Mm, but it gave you information of where to go next. Yeah, it did. It did. And it definitely, if the, I think if I had been like nine or 10 centimeters, I would have been like, yeah, okay, great. We're good to go. But then uh, like only seven centimeters, I was like, okay, I need some help here. And so the, the nitrous was really, really helpful there. And then around four o'clock in the morning, I, my midwife said, okay, I've, I've called the backup midwife. And I said, why? She said, because you're pushing. I was like, what? I guess I had started doing it spontaneously where I wasn't really paying attention at the, the peaks of those contractions. I had started pushing and I guess she noticed it before I noticed. Cause I was, I like, it was so, it was so intense where I was just like, riding the wave of every contraction and that was basically all I could do and and at that point they were like tripling up too mm. like doubling and tripling where there would be a peak a peak a peak and then like 15 or 20 seconds break and then another another one would come so I didn't even really know and I, and I don't really have a lot of memory of of that so I guess that was transition where I, I don't really have a lot of memory other than being like where is the break <laughs> And I, I uh, was listening to one of your podcasts recently where someone was talking about the quietude in between like transition and pushing. And so, and I, I knew that that was a possibility. And I was like, yes, I'm going to get fully dilated and then I'm going to have a break. And that didn't happen either. You didn't get the quietude. I did not. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so she was like, I'm going to do what you want. Do you like me to check you? Because it sounds like you're pushing and, and, and I've called the, the backup midwife because you're like you're pushing and I was like oh okay sure that way my water still hadn't broken and so she checked me and as she was checking me my water broke so that was that was exciting and then and she checked me and she said yeah you are fully dilated so that was really exciting and I think I did have like a little bit of a cervical lip and she just said like I'm just gonna hold my fingers here for one contraction is that okay yeah that's that's fine and then that was that was kind of it and then she kind of asked me if I wanted some coaching with pushing because I'd already been kind of doing it and I, I, sw I said no like I, I guess I'm already doing it so why don't I just keep doing what I'm doing I feel like I have a good rhythm with things and so I kept doing that like physiologic pushing where I would push when my body told me to push basically and and not any other time and that that went on for a, a while and in a lot of different positions like I pushed in the tub I pushed on a birth stool I pushed on my side on my other side standing up and, and and my son's heart rate kept dropping at this point we didn't know he was a boy but my son's heart rate kept dropping in every position that I was in so I would have to move so I didn't really get into a good groove of it until I was on my back and I really like that was one of the things where I was like I don't really want to give birth on my back I would like to be up or or in the water or somewhere else but the the only place where his heart rate stayed stable was on my back so that's where I ended up pushing how did it feel for you though pushing there because some people do feel that's what feels good to them it was nice because I could get like tiny little breaks in between the contractions because the pushing didn't slow down either the, the contraction pattern for the pushing was still really like two minutes apart there that didn't slow down so as the, any break that I could get was fantastic and I was already like lying down so that was probably necessary at that point well and I'm sure you were super tired by that. I was exhausted yes I was beyond exhausted and 
I didn't really eat anything overnight. My husband, there's a kitchen in the, in the birth center. There's like a, a sort of shared kitchen between all the suites. So my husband had gone and made turkey soup in the middle of the night and my midwife had some and he had some and I just, I wasn't really into it. Uh, and the backup doula or sorry, the backup midwife came probably around 5 a.m. And she got me a glass of orange juice and it was the best thing that I have ever eaten in my entire life. Aww. It was so good. <laughs> yeah, to perk you up and give you some energy. And just that's so, and, and you know, she came in with fresh mind and fresh eyes and fresh everything. With fresh orange juice. Fresh orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> and you're about to, well, I, you're pushing. How about I'm that? I'm pushing. Yes, and had delicious <laughs> orange juice. What happened yes. next? Yeah, so I'm pushing, and my husband wanted to catch our, our baby. So he, when he was crowning my midwife, asked him again, are you sure you'd like to catch the baby? And he was like, yeah, sure. Um, and he, he is not a super emotional person. So when I had asked in our prenatal visits, do you want to catch the baby? Because you could if you wanted to. And he was like, yeah, I guess. And then he watched a couple of videos where, you know, the head is born and then there's a pause and then the, the body is born. And he was like, yeah, I could probably do that. <laughs> so, so he, he went around with the midwife and, and got ready to catch the baby. And then when he was born, he had a nuchal hand, which in hindsight, I think is probably why my labor was the way it was, because I, I was reading somewhere that like a lot of OBs would recommend a C-section for that. Because his hand was like up right up by his, by his neck. And so when he was born, he just came out all at once. So there wasn't like the head and then a pause and then the shoulders he just like came right out. <laughs> my husband's like, I wasn't ready for that. But he caught him and put him on my chest. And that was really lovely. And I think it's much more meaningful to him now that he knows who our son is as a little person. So I think he enjoyed the experience, even though it wasn't quite what he expected. Uh, and then he was on my chest and he actually wasn't breathing right away. So the midwife went to cut the cord because he didn't cry right away. He wasn't breathing. And I, I said, wait, because I wanted delayed cord clamping and... I didn't quite, I couldn't quite see what was going on. Like I didn't really realize that he wasn't, he wasn't breathing. And I said, wait, and she did. So, and then we both kind of rubbed his back, tried to get him to cry. And then about a minute after that, he still wasn't crying, still wasn't quite breathing. And I was like, okay, now. And so I really feel like it was so amazing that the, the midwife didn't just rush into it because obviously he's safe. He's still attached to the umbilical cord. He's, it's not like he's not getting oxygen for that period of time. And I said, wait, and she listened. And I feel like that is like truly, truly informed consent. And I was like so grateful to her at that point for that. I can see a lot of other situations where you would have been told what was happening and baby would have been just picked up. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, she didn't wait long. Like it was 60 seconds. And, and then, but then I said like, okay, now, like, you have to do it now. And she did. So that was like, it was, it was really nice. Even though he wasn't breathing, it was, I, I still felt like I was, it was my decision. So she cut the cord and they took him over to the warmer and he ended up needed, needing suctioning and some oxygen. But he was, he was still in the same room right beside me. I couldn't quite see him, which was, I want to say it was scary, but I don't think I was even scared. I think I was just like, okay, he's getting suctioning and that's fine. I wasn't even really worried at that point. And I don't know if that was just like the the birth hormones, but I was just like, it's fine. He'll be fine. And then he was brought back to me within like maybe two minutes. 
So, and then he was skin to skin with me. He was skin to skin right away and then was gone for two minutes and then was skin to skin again. So I think that could have been a really scary situation where he wasn't breathing right away and he was separated from me for a few minutes. But I think because of the way my midwife handled it, like it wasn't scary. Well, and it's, you know, the energy of the room is really important in in terms of emotions are contagious. So if nobody was scared, Mm -hmm. then that wasn't coming up. Like nobody was bringing that into the space. Yeah, yeah. They were just dealing with, you were all just dealing with the situation. And sometimes maybe like I'll link on the show notes to Karen Strange's episode on, you know, she goes around the world teaching about neonatal resuscitation. But the way she approaches it is definitely from the baby's perspective. And her work is so fantastic in the sense that she's like, yes, you have to do these things, but let's understand how complex the transition from womb and from water to air is and all the processes that have to kick in. And sometimes that needs a minute. Sometimes that needs some help, but important to not bring fear into it. Yes. Yeah. And I think just because he was born so fast, his his lungs didn't get the squeeze that most babies get. Yeah. Right. And it's with that, like, that makes sense. Like once it's always a relief or I don't know, it, it feels good to get clarification. Like when you said nuchal hand, I was like, ah, there you have it. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things make sense. Once, once I figured that out, it was like, oh, that's why. And I'm sure like my body was trying to like, it's probably why he was so high kicking me in the ribs for so long. And then probably my body was like, this is bigger than it should be. Is That's trying to dilate around because his hand was up in the way. So I, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. There was more surface. So it required more force. You know, your contractions were so intense for so long and your pushing was long. When was, we didn't get to that. When, what time was he born? He was born at 6.50. So my pushing was just about three hours. So in the scheme of things, on the long side, uh, yeah, on the long side, but not the longest ever, right? No, no. Which I know, like, probably to listeners who haven't had a baby go like, what? (laughs) (laughs) No, but it's just on the, like, the long side of normal range, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But the notes are really funny. If you look at my midwife notes, it says, headborn, 650, bodyborn, 650. (laughs) All together now. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, he didn't get that squeeze. No, he didn't get that squeeze. So then how are you feeling about this experience? That's a great question. So I initially actually had a lot of guilt around it, or or I guess maybe more like shame, where like I wanted a natural birth and I ended up using the nitrous oxide. And like, does that mean that I... You know, especially because I'm like a naturopathic doctor, so I should be able to do things naturally. And so I actually like that was a hard thing for me to process, which it sounds so silly because nitrous oxide isn't even interventions. It's like very low. And one of the things that helped me the most was actually I asked for a copy of my birth records and I read through them and could see that like the contraction pattern was what I thought it was in my head, that it was so fast and like no breaks for so long. And yeah, I could see that, that like, nope, that's, that's true. What you thought happened was true. And, and that helped me realize that, yeah, it's okay that I, I use the nitrous oxide. Mm -hmm. No. And I think that's a great point for anybody, no matter what type of birth you have, but even especially helpful if you have a cesarean to 
ask for the birth records and read through them and not immediately give it time no I did this like probably six or eight weeks postpartum yeah and even then like it depends depending on the level of trauma that people are feeling I wouldn't recommend doing it right away but just to have it I'd like ask for them to have it and the reason I say especially for a cesarean is because regardless of if you're going with a different practice for your following birth they're gonna need those records anyway So to know about operative stuff. Yeah. And it's your story, right? So it's nice to, it's nice to read your story because you don't, you don't keep track of it in your head the same way that the midwives or the doctors are keeping track of it. So it's nice to just like have that objective, very objective. um, Like skeleton. Yeah. Skeleton of what happened. Yeah. Was there anything else that you did that helped you process the experience? To be honest, I think I had like a fairly smooth transition. I know you talk and and um, the, is it Dr. Alex Sachs talks about matrescence. Right. Yes. Yes. Uh, I think it went it went like really smoothly. My, my husband actually went back to work sooner than he anticipated because I hadn't started working yet. I, I had graduated and got my license, but I had I wasn't really working and. And my husband took four weeks off. And then at around, I think around three weeks, he was like, I'm bored. <laughs> Can I go back to work? But I think it was because we expected, uh, my expectations of postpartum was that it was going to be like totally insane. It was going to be crazy. There was going to be sleepless nights and not being able to get anything done. So I just, I, I had the entire Harry Potter series and I laid on my couch with my son on my chest and read Harry Potter. <laughs> Was that like your first week? That, no, that lasted about, I think it took me about 12 weeks to get through all of them. Okay. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> my, my thinking two weeks is ridiculous because that's, I couldn't get through one of those books yeah. <laughs> in a week. But so yeah. you, so but you said 12 weeks? Yeah. I think to get through all of them. Yeah. So you did spend a really oh. good chunk. Like you had a, you had that sort of lying in period. You had the quarantena, you had a good more than 40 yeah, days I, yeah I, I did and but I think I did it in like it was I did do a lot of lying around but I also like went out for walks pretty quickly because I because I was doing so much lying around I, my husband would be like okay I'm gonna do the dishes and I'd be like can you hold the baby and I do the dishes so I was still doing like little bits of things where I would like walk to the drugstore and pick something up by about a week postpartum just getting out little bits outside and or like going to the local coffee shop while you know wearing my wearing my son and then and just like buying the coffee and walking back and that interspersed with the lying lying in plus plus like doing things that make you feel normal right like showering in the morning and doing the dishes once a day because that was that was one of my household chores prior to and so it made me feel like I was still an adult Kind of, I think it made for like a really easy transition. We, I didn't really have a, a hard time juggling things until I, I went back to my first birth, which was about at about six months postpartum. And was it because you were, were you exclusively breastfeeding to, then? I, I, I didn't even ask you about breastfeeding. Yet. <laughs> yeah. So he, I tried to latch him right after the suctioning because I figured, you know, if that suctioning was probably uncomfortable. So maybe, you know, the comfort of nursing afterwards. And he like, was having none of it. He was like, no. So I tried to latch him a couple of times and was just like, all right, fine, we, we won't 
we won't breastfeed right now. And and actually the the bed in the birthing suite was a king size bed. So after I tried to latch him in and didn't really work, he was on my chest. My husband was beside me and the three of us had a nap for like 20 minutes. And it was that was like actually the highlight of my birth experience was this nap that we had while the midwives were cleaning up. And then I woke up because he was rooting around and then he latched beautifully. And he did, we did have like a bit of a hiccup the first two weeks. He had a tongue tie and my letdowns were really, really forceful in the beginning, like super forceful. And so he would, he would just get so overwhelmed where like I was, he would pop off and it would be like spraying him up the nose and he'd get so gassy because he like couldn't maintain the latch. And at, at two weeks postpartum, we ended up getting the tongue tie clipped. And then since then, it's basically been smooth sailing with the breastfeeding. That's fantastic. Is there anything else you want to make sure the listeners, all those mighty parents out there, know about? Honestly, like the, I think the biggest thing, first of all, I didn't, I didn't hire a doula and I regret not hiring a doula. I think my, you know, my husband was really great and I gave him like a mini doula training. I was like, these are the things that I, I will want you to do. And he did all those things and he was really fantastic. But I really noticed the difference when my midwife walked in having female presence who knew what was going on. And thankfully, because, you know, she's a midwife, she stayed with us through the whole the whole birth, but your OBs and your nurses are in and out of the room. And having that specifically female presence for me that knew what was going on and, and just like her touch was so different than my husband's. And I think that really, like, I think I would have benefited from that earlier on. And I think so next time I will, I will definitely have a doula. Yay. (laughs) I was surprised. I was surprised. Yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was really interesting because I thought he, you know, and he was, he did like a really amazing job and was doing all the things and was very supportive. But the difference between his presence and my midwife's presence was so stark to me while I was in labor. Like it was just like, oh, there you are. And I think it, that's where I'm like, I go back to Britta Bushnell's work and, and how birth will transform you. And also like thinking about archetypes and roles for as much as we focus on our modern world, which is true. But, you know, there's still these ideas and concepts of archetypes. And it's to to distill it to the fact that like in simple words, people have different jobs. Yes. Yeah. His role is to be the loving, protective partner, not to be the more of a servant role, which, you know, that's what the word doula means in Greek. Yes, to serve. Uh, And I think probably if I had a doula, like someone would have brought me orange juice maybe in the middle of the night as opposed to like the next morning, you know. So just like those little things. And uh, yeah, I think I'll definitely have a doula next time. (laughs) Anything else you would do differently? I think I would like to catch our next baby. My husband got a chance to catch this the first one, so I think I would like to catch the next one. <laughs> Yay. Uh, Sarah, thank you so very much for being on the show today and wanting to share your story. This has been a roller coaster, a delightful roller coaster. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. That was naturopathic doctor and board-certified lactation consultant Sarah Winward, who is also now mom of two active boys and lives in Toronto, Canada. You can find more about Sarah at thelactationmd.com 
and on Instagram at the underscore lactation underscore ND. You can also connect with us at Birthful Podcast. Now, you know what would be lovely if you're not driving? I would just really love it if you took a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to Instagram, sharing your biggest aha moment from this story. Make sure to tag at Birthful Podcast so we can amplify it. Also, keep an eye out for the next episode on our Models and Places of Birth, where we talk with the amazing Robbie Davis Floyd about birth models and how they affect your birth. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.